Sounds of noted American slacker Steve Malcolmus and his jicks means it's time for another Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. And my guest on this edition of the Fantasy Podcast is Rotographs contributor and handsome Italian gentleman, Ben Deronia. In what follows, and in what has become a weekly practice in the Fantasy Friday edition of the podcast, we begin with a Hector Santiago status update. Is he still the closer of the Chicago White Sox? And if so, how much longer will he be that thing? We asked some pretty similar questions about Los Angeles Dodgers closer Javi Guerra and what sort of threat the very excellent Kenley Jansen poses to his status as a closer. Moving on, Doronio looks at some injury-prone but also high upside starting pitchers, a list that begins but does not end with Jake Peavy and Eric Bedard. From there, we digress briefly into a discussion of Brandon Beachy and what in particular makes his fastball so excellent. Of course, they're taking advantage of Ben Deronio's knowledge as a writer and analyst for Brave site Capital Avenue Club. And finally, Deronio reveals some excellent sell-high and buy-low candidates of some interest to America's fantasy owners. It is the Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio. It is featuring Rotograph's Ben Deronio, and it begins right now. Well, uh, do you mind if I ask you uh, questions about f- uh, fantasy baseball? I do not mind. You don't that. mind, yeah. Well, so you understand, Deronio, uh, or at least I hope you understand that it's uh, it's a, it's become a practice um, within the f- uh, the Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio to do a Hector Santiago status update. Uh, that that does make sense at this point of the uh, at this point of the it, year. It does, yeah, right. Well, because because he was basically, uh, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, well, if I'm not, I I think he pitched zero innings in the in the major leagues before this year, but he maybe pitched some innings. But if he pitched some innings, they were not important innings. Yeah, he had uh, I think like five last year. There randomly. Right, and then he but he broke camp with the White Sox as a closer. And has proceeded to close and has produced, I think, decent peripherals. Although, because I know that um, every Friday we'll be doing the Hector Santiago status update, I, I make a point of not looking up his numbers just so I can defer <laughs> to the fantasy guys. Can you give us a status update on Hector Santiago? Uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's one of those guys who was a starter in the minors, and all of a sudden they just moved him to reliever, and he excelled in the role in spring training, and they just threw him in there. It's actually a very similar situation that the, the Braves had with Johnny Venters a couple years ago, where he was a starter in the minors, you know, kind of, you know, had had some some good pitches and had some potential, but um, wasn't really uh, going to fit in that role. They moved him to bullpen, and then he just flourished out of it, and that's kind of what the White Sox are uh, expecting out of Santiago. And right now his strikeout rate and his walk rate are awesome, but he's let up a ton of home runs. I think right now like a third of his uh, fly balls have gone for home runs. So his FIP looks pretty much in line with his ERA, which is 8.53, which is not impressive. But then when you look at his XFIP of 2.80, it is pretty impressive. So um, while he is giving up a lot of home runs, that should probably uh, lessen as the year goes on. And, uh, he looks like he will be pretty good in the role if they don't 
toss it over to Anderson Reed anytime soon. Well, yeah, so I guess that's my question. I mean, because we do a, a weekly status update on Hector Santiago, do you think that by the time uh, next week's guest for for the purposes of Fantasy Friday, do you think that Hector Santiago will still be the closer of the Chicago White Sox? Um, he probably only has uh, another blown save in him before it's removed, so uh, it's definitely a possibility. I- I'm going to think that he holds on to it. I think he's a good enough pitcher to where he should be able to lock down some saves uh, over the next week, but it's certainly a possibility that he blows one more, and I think at that stage uh, Ventura will uh, toss it over to Reed or Crane or somebody else. You know, and curiously, I, I don't know if uh, I think I I, uh, I mentioned this uh, briefly with Michael Barr la- uh, on last week's edition of the the Fantasy Friday podcast, but um, that uh, Nate Jones, he, he, Nate Jones is actually an interesting pitcher as well because he has a, a very impressive breaking ball and uh, a fastball that he throws at like 96 to 99. I, I don't know if you've been, had the opportunity to see Nate Jones or at least uh, take a look at the numbers. I, I have. Briefly, um, he's a big dude. You know, he's a he's a big guy, um, and he has like like you said, impressive fastball and so forth. I don't think he's quite um, has the same credit level of command as Santiago or uh, or Reed, but he does have the uh, the type of stuff to be pretty solid in the uh, in the bullpen as well. He's he's gone back and forth in his career as a, a starter and a reliever, but I think right now that he's settled in the reliever in the majors, he, he should be okay. But I would think they would have other um, other options before they were doing him. Yeah, and just as an aside, and maybe you saw it the other day, uh, um, uh, I think Hector Santiago was brought in to pitch at least the 14th inning, uh, and perhaps the 13th. I don't, I don't know. I, I fast-forwarded uh, on MLB TV directly to the 14th inning of the Oakland A's Chicago White Sox game from Wednesday night, where Jonas Suspedes hit a. Uh, um, as he does, as he as he's wont to do, hit a majestic home run of Hector Santiago. Yep. Yeah, and, and that was really all about uh, location with that pitch. Uh, you just, if you look at the uh, pitch effects or um, even a, a still picture of where it was, it was literally right down the pipe. And to a guy like Spedis, uh, that's literally the only spot you really want to miss. And if you throw him right down the middle, he's gonna he's gonna hit one of those unbelievable home runs that he's been. Hitting ever since he's been in the majors. I, I, now, um, you know you're not like you're not like an 80 year old man, but from from what you've seen, uh, you know, from your baseball experience, your, your experience watching baseball, have you seen a, a hitter who's so vulnerable? I mean, I'm talking about Suspedes, who's who's both a so vulnerable against uh, quality breaking balls, quality pitches, and yet b um, is so effective against mistake pitches uh, than Suspedes? Um, I can't name one off the top of my head. The first person I would think of was Vlad, but I honestly think he was actually pretty good at hitting uh, a breaking ball also, but he just swung at everything and he had great contact skills to be able to hit it. Um, off the top of my head, I really can't recall somebody that just destroys only fastballs at this type of rate where, you know, pitchers keep throwing them to him. Right, and also in, in mistake, mistake breaking ball pitches. Like, I know that... Uh, not the Santiago home run, the one suspended hit before that though against Irvin Santana. Irvin Santana was a mistake slider after Santana had thrown a, you know. Anger. Uh, yeah, right. And Santana before that had thrown like three consecutive good sliders, um, two mm-hmm. of which, uh, Suspedes whiffed on, the other which was a ball. But it, it only takes one hanger, uh, when you're facing Suspedes. Yeah. And he will, I mean, almost without, you know, without exception, he'll deposit it into the, into the outfield stands. 
Yeah, that's what it seemed like. And some of that's probably Urban Santana, too. I mean, he's been tossing homers up almost as frequently as, uh, actually more frequently than Suspedes is even hitting them. I think he already allowed, like, 10 home runs. So um, That's a bad number of home runs. a lot of those mistakes. Yeah. And if you're going to make a lot of them to guys like Suspedes, you're going to give up a lot of home runs. Now, um, you know, one of the things that uh, at least I've found since we've started doing this weekly edition of the, the Fantasy Friday podcast is closers are always – I mean, closing roles are always changing, um, you know, whether it's due to ineffectiveness or injury, and so there are always closers to look at. Uh, there, there are probably a bunch of situations. I know that recently, uh, and by recently, I think I, I mean even, again, Wednesday night, um, Javi Guerra, uh, I don't know if he, if he lost it outright or if he just blew the save uh, for the Dodgers. Um, he... He's not as good a pitcher. I think it's. It, I don't. I don't think it's um, a particularly daring statement to make to suggest that Javier is not as as effective a pitcher uh, as Kenley Jansen, and yet Javier is the closer of the Los Angeles Dodgers. I'm curious what your thoughts are on that situation. Do you see Guerra lasting all season, or if not, when do you see him uh, ceding the role to Jansen? I, I actually do see him holding it just because while he isn't as good as Jansen, he is pretty effective himself. Um, and he looks to have improved this year, even though he has had a, a string of rough uh, outings. Two days ago, he uh, he ended up losing the game. It was a tie game, and uh, Martin Prado had a go-ahead triple in the ninth. And then yesterday he came in and uh, gotten out and then – gave up a single to Freddie Freeman, and then the next batter, Brian McCann, hit a line drive right back at him, and it hit him right in the face, flushed right in the face. He didn't go down, and they kept him in the game, and then he gave up three more singles uh, in a row, and so he blew that save also. Um, so he's had two blown saves in the past week, and I think um, three losses. So it is uh, getting very sticky. Um, he's in another situation, kind of like Santiago, where he only has probably one more bad adding where he's going to, um, you know, anytime soon at least, if he has a bad outing in the next week or so, he's going to probably end up losing the job. But um, he's another guy where, you know, his, his peripherals look really good. Um, his ERA is almost near six right now, which is certainly not good. But he has an FIP of a little bit over one and a half uh, and an XFIP just over two. Um, you know, he's striking out a ton of batters and not walking many. Um, like I said yesterday, uh, about his performance yesterday, he gave up five straight singles, which is, um, you know, more or less lucky from the Braves end. None of them are really smashed except for the line drive that hit him in the face. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess, uh, well, I don't know if that's a skill that we can, uh, that becomes reliable <laughs> after a certain number of uh, plate appearances or opportunities, but blocking pitches, blocking blocking batted balls with your face, is that a skill that yeah. you have? Yeah. I mean, Juan Nicasio, Juan Nicasio, I think, possesses that, right? He, he, is, uh, he is profound in that uh, department. <laughs> It's small, small sample size, though. I think, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think we all have to agree. That it was amazing. Though. I really don't, I really don't understand how he wasn't injured from it. Like it, at first, I, I imagined he, you know, his glove got a little bit of it and he was okay. But then you look at the replay and it literally hit him right in the face. He didn't go down at all, and he stayed in the game and pitched the next three batters, um, even though he did give up hits. Which is, it's just crazy to me that he was able to one, not be unconscious, and then two, still pitch. Uh, really phenomenal, just <laughs> crazy. Yeah, did, did the doctors? I mean, did the doctors look amazed when they? Uh, I mean, uh, was there a, sort of a trainer out to check on him at least? Yeah, they they came out and they you know, they had him out there and you know 
they they ruled that he was okay. He took tests afterwards as well, and he had a uh, no concussion syndrome. But I, I guess that's kind of why um, I think me and probably the rest of the Dodgers staff as well is going to give him a pass on yesterday's outing uh, because you know he blew the save after getting hit right in the face, which is you know he probably pitched a little bit differently than he would in another situation. Right, well, on account of the part where he got hit in the face, I guess is what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, well, I want to get. Uh, I don't want to talk about closers forever, but there are a couple other situations uh, that may or may not be in flux, and, and of course have to do with um, injuries to the, the more established closer. Uh, one of those uh, cases now is in San Francisco, where it appears that Brian Wilson will miss the remainder of the season. Santiago Casilla is currently closing games. The other situation is in Toronto, where. Sergio Santos is on the DL with a, a shoulder situation, and um, I guess Francisco Cordero is closing games. Uh, I, yep. I don't know if you have like a sort of capsule review of both of the situations. Um, to what degree do you think that those those pitchers who are currently closing games, uh, how, how much longer they will be doing that? Um, Casillas should be a guy for the whole year. Uh, he looked really impressive too. He's adding against the. Uh... The Reds today was phenomenal. I think he struck out the side, including Joey Votto, and pretty seamlessly as well. Um, so yeah, he, I think he's going to have uh, really no issue holding on to the role the whole year. I'm pretty confident in him. Cordero and uh, and uh, Santos is a little bit more of a sticky situation. I actually own Santos in, in one of my leagues, and uh, my DL spot was already full, so I'm just hanging on to him, uh, hogging up a spot. And then he's going to be out for the next four weeks at least with a shoulder injury, which is you know, that's what they had assumed with uh, Michael Pineda at first, too, and then they realized, you know, it could be out for the year. So it's something to at least monitor to see uh, the extent of the injury going forward and if it has any more issues, um, that Cordero could be the guy for a little bit longer than we expected. But, yeah, for right now, uh, Cordero is going to be closing games for them for the next month or so. So, you know, that could be anywhere from, you know, just five saves or it could be uh, ten saves, maybe even a little bit more than that. So... Um, if you're if you're searching for temporary saves, he's definitely the guy to own, and uh, or, or yeah, he's he's the guy to go after. I think he should hold the spot. He's not that great of a pitcher, but um, you know he has the experience, which managers love, and so Farrell will run him out there, uh, probably with as long of the leash uh, as long of the leash as uh, Santos had. All right, well, um, that, that's good stuff for closers. Again, that's just one of those things, I, especially with with fantasy baseball, you, you have yep. to constantly keep Always tabs. Keep up on it. Right, on closers. Now, I know one thing that uh, is of, of some interest to you is um, um, moving from uh, relief pitchers to starters. Um, I think that you're, you're keenly interested in um, starting pitchers who maybe have uh, sort of checkered medical histories, especially of late, but could be of some benefit to owners um, this year or, or, uh, or if not for the entire season, at least for the time being. Um, yep. I, I know a couple names uh, that are sort of attractive to you are uh, Jake Peavy um, and also Eric Bedard. Uh, I'm curious what you think about those guys and, and maybe some other guys that might fit those mold, uh, fit in the, in, in the mold of those particular pitchers who um, fantasy owners might be able to find for, uh, you know, if not necessarily super cheap, then at least uh, uh, for less than, than they might be worth. Sure, yeah. PV was, was definitely one of the big guys I was pushing this uh, offseason. Um, 
you know, you're not going to draft him early or anything, and, and nobody did. You either draft him very, very late, or you picked him up off of waivers. So there's really no risk in in grabbing him. And if he does get hurt, you just drop him and pick up uh, another person. Uh, you know, maybe he won't pitch 180 innings, but uh, his peripherals last year were really, really top notch, and the uh, White Sox have improved their defense all around. So uh, he should receive better luck with balls in play. Um, he's not quite the same kind of strikeout guy he used to be, but he doesn't really walk anybody. And uh, he'll he'll be an effective pitcher throughout the season as long as he's healthy. And that's really the same thing with Bedard. Um, you know, he's always good when he stays on the on the field. Right now he's 0-4, but if you look at his other stats, you know, he has like a ERA under three. So unfortunately on the Pirates, um, you're not going to get the win total for fantasy purposes. That is so vital, but you will get um, some really solid peripherals and really solid uh, ERA and decent strikeouts. Um, and his teammate, A.J. Burnett, is kind of in the same mold, um, moving to the NL for the first time and a very weak-hitting NL Central and weak-hitting NL overall, really, if you look at the teams. Uh, the NL East is in the same mold, pretty much pitcher-heavy. And A.J. Burnett's another good guy to speculate on at this point. Um, he had a very good outing in his first outing. I'm not going to say he's back or anything like that, but uh, he, he is a guy to speculate on at this point. Um, and a few other guys I really liked were um, not necessarily injury-prone, but uh, had a checkered pass was Jeff Samarja, who um, you know was moving from the relief role to starter for the first time. Uh, nobody thought that would do well when they first announced it, but he has been really impressive so far, striking out over a batter per inning, and I think he has the stuff and the assortment of pitches to be able to hold on to that the whole year. Uh, Johan Santana would be the last guy I would mention. He was another person that was, um, you know, coming off of an injury who everybody was unsure about. You can grab pretty late or pick up, or you can even still trade for him now. You're going to probably have to pay a little bit more than you would have, but uh, those are guys that are probably all going to be good as long as they're healthy or in the role. You know, with Samarja, I'm curious because um, I'll be honest, he did not even – Cross my mind as as a potential pickup, whether it was whether it was in my uh, auctions or drafts or or, or mm-hmm. early waiver wires. Um, of course, his first couple starts were phenomenal, um, yep. and not in, not just in terms of um, outcomes, but also in terms of stuff. I mean, he's throwing a, a, a you know a four seamer like ninety five, ninety six, a, a two seamer, um, you know, in like the ninety two, ninety two, mm-hmm. ninety three range, uh, pretty nice slider. Um, and and I think he only walked one guy over his first two starts. Now of course his third start uh, was a little bit less successful. He walked a couple more guys. But I'm curious because uh, Samarja's as a relief pitcher um, was walking like four and a half or something per nine. Yep. And I'm curious, what do you think? You know, it's a, of course it's a new regime in in Chicago, which can which can make a difference. Um, but what do you think is is the sort of real Jeff Samarja? Uh, I, I think as a starter, what we've seen so far is going to be the real him. Uh, you know, I don't think he's going to walk four and a half. I also don't think he's going to walk, uh, you know, one every two starts. He's probably somewhere between that. Um, you know, a decent, decent command guy where he'll walk probably three to three and a half to nine. Um, but I think one of the big things they did, at least from what I've seen for pitch effects, I haven't watched every pitch of the start, so it's hard for me to say for certain. But what, what I see from pitch effects is that he's changed to more of a two seam fastball. And I think he's had more command with that pitch. And um, working through the lineup seems to just sometimes guys do better as a starter, sometimes guys do better as a reliever. And he seems to be somebody who, using his assortment of pitches, helps him 
rather than, uh, you know, a normal back-end type reliever who usually has one or two really dominant pitches that they go to. Um, he can, you know, kind of play with the hitter's head by having, you know, a cut fastball, uh, a split-finger fastball, a two-seamer, a four-seamer. Having all those variations can uh, really help him, and I think it has so far. So I think he is this type of uh, this type of pitcher, maybe not nine strikeouts uh, per per inning. I mean, well, nine strikeouts per, uh, per nine, rather. Um, I don't think he's probably that quality. It'll probably come down a little bit, but I think he is probably uh, the type of pitcher you're seeing now where he'll be probably mid-threes ERA, and uh, that's uh, pretty solid. You, you know, it's you, you mentioned that the degree to which uh, transferring from a relief role to a, to a starting role uh, at some level could be an advantage. Now, of course, uh, broadly speaking, um, when a pitcher, um, we find that the pitchers who pitch in a, in a relief role um, have lower ERAs, typically throw mm-hmm. about a mile per hour faster, um, and the ERAs are typically about a you know a point lower. Uh, but but th- now that's just looking at general populations. You know, one one sort of interesting example, and in, in this you know, and I apologize if this name isn't um, necessarily um, familiar to to our listeners or even to you, Deronio, but um, Johnny Helwig is a is a pitcher in the Angels system, pitching in the California League. Last year, which is not particularly friendly to to pitchers um, generally, uh, Helwig is like a huge guy. He's like you know he's like Randy Johnson size, but he's a right-hander. Throws throws really hard and was pitching miserably out of the bullpen. Mm-hmm. They moved uh, the Angels uh, organizationally. They moved him to a starting role just to give him a, a little bit more of a chance to kind of get a feel for his pitches, you know, appearance mm-hmm. by appearance. And he was genius over the second half of the season. Um, yeah. But this is curious, you know. I, I think it's it raises a point, maybe more of a conceptual point than any sort of specific point about you know particular player. Just the degree to which that while we can make uh, assumptions about general populations, that there's still that necessity to understand that um, specific pitchers will respond to changes in in specific ways. Uh, it's very true. Um, another example of that would be uh, Brandon Beachy. He was a relief pitcher for. The uh, start of his uh, uh, start of his professional campaign with Atlanta, and uh, they decided he had enough pitches to be a starter. They tried him out as a starter, and you know he was like uh, he went from undrafted to the tenth best right-handed relief prospect for the Braves, which is not that impressive. And then now he's one of the top starters on the team, if not the top starter on the team. So yeah, you know people get put into different roles, and sometimes they excel. And a lot of that usually has to do with having uh, enough pitches to be able to get both sides out and, you know, keep it going through a full start rather than just one inning. You know, I don't want to digress um, uh, too far from the topic at hand here, but uh, I, I do would like to take advantage of the moment um, here because I know that you follow the Braves um, pretty mm-hmm. closely, and uh, Beachy is a, is a pitcher about whom I'm, I'm you know, curious because um, – well, actually, you and you, you in fact participated in our best pitches series that we uh, that we rolled out. Uh, I think sometime in you know maybe March or late February, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had the opportunity to write uh, to write the piece on fastballs. In BG, it, it was impossible. It was impossible not to include him in the best fastballs article, um, just because you know between uh, between his swinging strike rate and uh, his his linear weights above average. Uh, you know, in terms of runs um, on the fastball, were just they were both among the league leaders, 
And I'm mm-hmm. curious. I'm guessing you you know you get to see Beachy um, more than a lot of people. What what is it from what you've seen that Beachy does with his fastball um, that is able to give him such an advantage, especially for a pitcher who you know mind you was not even drafted. Yeah, it's it's really crazy his his whole story. Um, but what he does with his fastball is it, it's a straight fourteen fastball. There's no uh, you know drop to it. There's no tail to it. It is as straight as it can get, which I think most hitters aren't used to seeing. And at the velocity he has, which is about 92 miles an hour, it kind of resembles a cutter. And it's actually something that PitchFX has had a problem identifying uh, because it looks a lot like a cutter. So his pitches that end up on the uh, outside corner to right-handers or inside corner to left-handers um, ends up being labeled as a cutter more often because it has that type of movement. So it's a four-seam fastball that doesn't really tail. Um, he throws it high in the strike zone frequently, and that's kind of where he ran into some home run issues in homer-friendly ballparks. In Atlanta, he hasn't had quite that same issue, but he is able to you know, pretty much locate it at will. That's his best asset is how quality his command is, and then uh, that fastball comes at about 91 or 92, which isn't tremendously fast, but upper and higher in the zone, it is a a little bit more difficult for uh, hitters to catch up with. So, you know, location is the number one thing. Velocity being pretty solid is the next. And then uh, the cut type action it has on it uh, is probably the next reason why it's so effective. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting that you mentioned that because, in a sense, a fastball that does not have, like, you know, say five or six inches of tail on it, or your arm side run, that. That's you know if if it's closer to zero, closer to you know to maybe just one inch of arm side run, that is going to read like a cut fastball, and you see that with the pitcher. Now, uh, this guy's not the same, not the same sort of pitcher, but Josh Kalmenter, who has an extreme over the top delivery, um, you'll find that his fastball, in some cases, it reads almost like a lefty fastball, um, because he's he's almost throwing from like a negative. Uh, a negative slot, uh, you know, on, on the the y axis there. And I'm curious, is I mean, is that sort of how BG's looks to it? Does he throw from a, a pretty um, from an over the top uh, perspective? Yeah, it, it's it's more or less just a straight overhand, and uh, they actually both have pretty similar fastballs, and and they both work them up in the zone at a higher than average pace, uh, and receive better results up in the zone, higher in the zone than most people do too. So, um, I, I would say that their their fastball. Um, you know, the way they move and the way they're thrown are similar. I think the big advantage BG has in that scenario is that he throws it harder. So if Colmenter had a little bit more velocity behind him, I think he would probably have uh, a similar quality fastball as BG does. Yeah, yeah, that's I mean, that's great stuff where especially, um, you know, where, the, where scouting, elements of scouting and, and um, elements of um, outcomes and, and statistics, they sort of come together. You know, you, you have a pitcher yep. like Colmenter, who you know very clearly does not have what you'd call plus anything, um, mm-hmm. and yet because of the the sort of the uniqueness of his delivery, um, you know he's able to be successful to some degree at least in the majors. You know this mm-hmm. he has not been uh, as exceptional this year as he was last. But Beachy is you know maybe a similar story. And in, in, as you mentioned, he's a little bit more physically gifted probably than Commenter. Yeah, he's. The big thing with Beachy, he's a very good athlete as well. He played third base, third base in college. Um, he runs well. He, he fills his position well. Um, and he's a big guy. He just has pretty much all the tools to, you know, if, if he was coming up as a prospect right now, um, you know, 
uh, his size and everything, his control, I think he would get a lot more praise than he uh, than he did when he was coming up as a red-handed, undrafted uh, relief prospect. So I think that's one of the big issues a lot of people had when he came up. They weren't really sure what he was going to be, and um, he's really gone past everybody's expectations. Now, uh, before I let you go, Deronio, um, you know, to do whatever it is that Ben Deronio does with his life, and uh, uh, I do want to um, just touch briefly on um, on some, uh, I mean, just something that would be, of course, of general interest to fantasy owners, which is um, players who might be candidates for uh, selling high, or and, and other players um, in in fantasy baseball who might be candidates for for buying low. And I'm curious if you. I don't know if you have any, uh, maybe some names um, on hand um, to give to give me to give to give listeners uh, that, that might fit the either either one of those descriptions. Uh, sure, yeah, um, I'll give you a few that I'm definitely holding on. I actually wrote on this earlier. Um, guys, I'm specifically who have played above their expectations, who I don't want to trade, who people might be inclined to sell high on. Um, one was who we mentioned before, Jake Peavy. A lot of people would be uh, inclined to move him at this point. You know, he's he's pitched great. They basically take nothing for him. If they could, if they can get something back of value, they might be willing to toss him before he gets injured. And I think he's a guy who, if you hold on to a little bit longer, you're going to be able to get more value uh, in another not three or four weeks as he continues to pitch well and get get really good results. Because you know, after a few starts. It's a little bit too early to, to sell high because people aren't going to properly value Hey, you know, short sample, small sample size, I'm not willing to pay that much yet. But if he has a few more good performances, which I expect, he should be a good guy to uh, to move. Um, somebody I would sell high on would probably be Gio Gonzalez. Uh, I do like him as a pitcher, but I don't think he is the quality that he's been so far. Um, he has great peripherals overall. He's striking out a ton of batters, not walking many. Hasn't given up a home run yet, but... I think he's a, a decent guy to, to move at this point. He, you know he's going to lose his control at some point, at least somewhat. Well, so, if I, and if I can interject, I, I mean, I know I was just sorting through the XFIP leaderboards the other day, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, among qualified pitchers, Jim Gonzalez was was second behind Cole Hamels in terms of XFIP. Who was? I'm sorry. Uh, he, uh, yeah, no, Gio yeah, Gon- I, I'm looking at him right now. Yeah, Gio Gonzalez was uh, was was right. second among uh, pitchers in terms of XFIP. And this is not a name. This is not a name you expect to see at the very top of that charts. No, not at all. Um, he, he, he's got a ton of ground balls this year, which has helped his uh, uh, home run per fly ball ratio. He has zero home runs allowed, so obviously um, XFIP is going to regress that upwards. Um, but it is level you would expect uh, because he's been getting a lot of ground balls. Um, but yeah, he, he's definitely been a surprise in that regard. You know, he moved to the NL, and again, we were talking about how. Uh, how the hitting is across the NL for the most part, and you know can excel in that role. Um, but one thing that is interesting is that there's a decent amount of right-handed uh, power hitters, uh, both in the division and uh, in the rest of the NL, that could cause him problems eventually. And you know he is uh, he's been wild in his past, so he's another guy I would look to uh, to move most likely. Um, another guy I would be interested in selling a high on would be Jason Hamill. Um, he's He's been great so far, and the trade for the, that the Orioles made has looked like a really good idea, just because of how well he's performed and how terrible Guthrie has performed. Um, but he's a guy in fantasy who I would be uh, interested in moving at this point. 
I don't think he's probably going to build any more value than he has right now. And uh, if you can get something back of value for him, if you already had him and he's performed well, I think this would be the time to do it. And are you looking at buying anyone? I mean, I don't know if you want to admit it, uh, you know, because uh, there might be uh, some competitors, uh, some of your competitors in fantasy leagues might be listening right now, but is there anyone uh, you're looking at uh, in terms of buying low? Any pick um, any yeah, pickups there are a couple guys. Yeah, go for it. Um, mostly, um, they, they've been hitters I've been looking at, uh, buying low on. Colby Rasmus is one of them. Um, he's had a pretty good week. So he, he, he might have uh, missed the boat a little bit on buying low on him, but um, I actually was able to pick him up uh, on waivers in the football team, which I was really surprised about. Um, I think he's going to have a, a very good power year in Toronto, and Farrell last year was very big on running his guys, so I think um, he, he should end up getting more steals than he had last year. And, uh, you know, that park is great for left-handed home runs, and... The more uh, the more at bats he gets against the AL pitching, the better he's going to be. And you know he's just in a great ballpark, like I said. Um, I like the Blue Jays' offense a lot, and there's going to be a lot of guys on base for him. So you know that only usually improves numbers. So I think that'll really help him as well. Um, other than him, a guy I'm buying low on uh, from a pitching sense is uh, Josh Beckett. I, I think he's gotten uh, a bad start to the year. Um, uh, ERA-wise and peripheral-wise, but I think that's bound to improve, and people will, uh, you know, probably be willing to sell him at a, a relative discount compared to what he's actually worth because of his past injury history, uh, the Red Sox struggles, and his struggles throughout the year. They may be uh, sour on him, and uh, you know, most of the Red Sox staff. And I think he's probably a good guy to target and and look to acquire. Now, uh, final comment. Uh, you may or may not know uh, Ben Deronio that. Uh uh, I, I currently have a team called the Very Handsomes in the uh, Fangraphs Staff League. Fangraphs Staff League One, I should uh, I should make clear. Uh, we're in second place, but uh, yeah, but um, uh, of course we've pitched many fewer innings than um, than Paul Swiden's team, the Lars Larson Snowmobiling Experience. Uh, I'm just wondering, just uh, from what you know, maybe based on this phone conversation, what you know about Paul Swiden and the rest of my competitors. Where you would put my chances of winning that league? I mean, for you, you as a fantasy expert. Um, I don't know the team. I don't know who you have. No, no, but just don't, look, don't look at that. Don't look at the Deronio. Come on, don't look at don't look at the details. <laughs> Consider this is one of your fellow paisans here. All right. And go there are zero uh, other. Uh, I'm gonna go with you in that scenario. Yeah, I see. I appreciate that because the only other paisan in the league is uh, Mike Exisa. And he's a, I mean, he's a distant, okay. he's in tenth place. I mean, he's, you know what? He's actually a little bit, he's besmirching uh, the Italian people in, in just by finishing in tenth place. It's kind of, I, in fact, I'm, I'm tempted to trade him, maybe a couple of my players, just out of the goodness of my heart, so that he does not bring so much shame on our people. You know, you have to, you have to watch out in those leagues though, because in the other Fangraphs staff league, I was in eleven for pretty much the entire season until. Two days ago, I had a couple guys start, and then I moved up to fourth, just like that. So, you know, maybe Mike will uh, pick it up for us. You know, if Angrafs is getting a, a more heavy Italian base, from what I can tell, you know, we have Petty, um, you, me, and Exisa for uh, the ones I can nail off the top of my head. So. And Jason, uh, don't, we'll, forget we'll Jason don't forget Jason Catania. Don't forget Jason Catania. 
of course. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I have a list. Don't worry. I have a list right here uh, in my <laughs> in my office at home, and uh, I keeping track on the uh, how many uh, you know paisans we have on staff. Because uh, <laughs> I mean, it's very important. I think that you can agree it's the it most is. important. It's the most important thing. Um, I agree. Yeah, no, can you just tell me one last thing? I know you're in that other, uh, the other Fangraph staff league there. How are my little Notgraph writers doing there? I got Summer Ann Burton over there. I got Robert Bauman over there. Are, are they holding their own or are they embarrassing themselves in Notgraphs? I think everybody is pretty even. Just like I said, I, I moved from, uh, 11th to, uh, to 4th in a matter of, uh, literally a day. So everybody's pretty close. Um, forget who's winning it right now, but the only people I see making trades, for the most part, I believe, are your uh, your fellow Knockraft people. Yeah, so probably crazy they trades. They are too. very active. Probably no, just based on mustaches all, or something like that, yeah. <laughs> they've all seemed to make sense to me so far. I haven't okay. looked at them and their roster comparisons, so maybe yeah. I am wrong, but... Wait, wait. To value it, that's pretty good. You're saying that just in terms of rankings, you said you went from like 11th to 4th in one day. That's crazy to me because, you know, I, I don't know if you heard this. You may not have heard this um, because you'd never heard of the Internet before. But recently the SI.com uh, power rankings came out, uh, <laughs> powered by yes, Fangrass War. And uh, there was a big, uh, there was a lot of controversy surrounding the Royals being ranked seventh. You might, yes, be, aware. You might uh, be aware of that. However, that was a fun one. Yeah, the, com- the, the sort of comedy behind it was that I think even by the, by Monday – um, because the stats were through, well, of course, you write, you write the, you write the, uh, you, you wrote the copy for this most recent edition. Yes. Uh, I've gotten uh, a lot of emails, um, and, and tweets at me that, that I'm an idiot for, for ranking them that high. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, you may be an idiot, but it's, it's not for that reason. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure. <laughs> but, uh, what's funny about it is that, uh, I think even by like Tuesday or Monday, whenever, when the, the news came out, yeah, it was the Tuesday, I guess, um, when people really seemed to react to it. The, the Royals were already 11th by by Fangraphs War, uh, just because there was a lot of clustering, yeah. I think, like between like 15 and 7 or something. Yeah, that's that's the that's the big thing people were missing is that how, how close. Um, you know, as I was doing the the rankings, I was like, wow, that high? and then I looked at the next one, and I'm like, oh, they're they're right there too. Yeah. and it's pretty much that way all the way down near 20. So everybody was like right neck and neck. Yeah, um, I've been following just to see you know where they are each night and they've been going pretty much back and forth i think after today they'll probably be around like 10 or so so it'll be interesting to see where they go next week and uh you know what the reaction is yeah i don't know i i, I don't know about you personally it's hard for me to get uh, excited about it one way or the other especially you know like not even a month into the season it's uh, no, exactly it's just, you know how can you know anybody say this team is definitely this much better than a team two spots behind them right. at, at this point? You know, people need to understand that it's going to have a lot of fluctuation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Use yeah, use your common sense. Uh, that's all. That's all it requires. Hey, listen, uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to invite you to a little uh, tea and adult conversation uh, after I hit stop on the uh, recording. Uh, software I use here, Ben, uh, but I want to say publicly, I'll admit this publicly, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for the pleasure talking to you as well. Cool. All right. Uh, well, like I said, I'm going to hit stop, but I do, uh, before I do that, I, w- I would really like to thank uh, Ben DeRonio coming to us live from uh, uh, Manhattan, the Manhattan borough of New York City. 
Um, that's Ben Zeroni. I'm, I'm Carson uh, Sestouli. And this has been Fangraphs Audio. This has been the Fantasy Friday edition, allow me to say. The Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio. Thank you. Wow.